And the punishment was too severe? What's wrong with you people? Evangelical churches today are increasingly dominated by the spirit of this age rather than by the spirit of Christ. But yet, tragically, there are popular evangelical authors and conference speakers today who are teaching that justification is by faith alone, but entering heaven is not by faith alone. There are other conditions to be met. A what? No holiness, no heaven. You don't get into heaven by faith alone. You get justified by faith alone. You get into a position where God is 100% for you by faith alone. And in order to get into heaven, that faith must bear the fruit of love. You will find that it is you who are mistaken about a great many things. Back to the Reformation. It has been more than 500 years since the Reformation. The 21st century church has departed from the authority of scripture and the gospel. We welcome you to listen in as we go back to the Reformation. The views of this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the churches the host attend. And welcome back to the Reformation podcast. This is Matt Rosenblum and I'm here with my co-host. Onyx Siadian. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about the topic of spiritual disciplines. We are going to ask the questions, what are they? Where did they come from? And are they biblical? And we have a special guest joining us today, and it is John Moffitt from Theocast, and we are excited to have him. Welcome, John. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, brother. It's awesome. Thanks for taking the time to do so. Absolutely. Excited you're here. How are things going out in Tennessee? Uh, well, today is kind of nice. It's about a high of 65, and uh, everything is coming into bloom. So uh, if you've never been to Tennessee, especially uh, here in Nashville, we're a pollen bowl. So this time of year, <laughs> it's hard to know if you have corona or if you have allergies. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> how it is right now. So if I have a deep voice, most likely it's because of allergies. Um, but yeah, it's it's beautiful right now. The uh, Everything's coming into bloom. It's a beautiful time. And the hard thing about <laughs> April is it can be 75 and humid and then the next day 45 and uh so it's uh if you try and plant early if you try and plant flowers or your garden early most likely you're gonna get in trouble but it's been fun i've lived here for since going on my uh my eighth year living here originally from southern california where weather is always the same <laughs> there is no yep, fall right. or spring there's just california so <laughs> we're having we're having a lot of rain today though Good. It's always good. Yeah. Southern California needs all the rain it can get. That's right. John, why don't you tell the audience about yourself? Um, you know, you're kind of like the gold standard for us because we're, we've been so influenced by your podcast. <laughs> Thanks. It's a compliment. I always <laughs> chuckle. Uh, if people really could see behind the curtain of Theocast, they wouldn't be very impressed at all. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, <laughs> I'm a pastor. I, I started a church uh, about three years ago in just south of Nashville, about 45 minutes in a little town called Spring Hill. And we are a reformed. We're a 1689 London Baptist Confession Reformed Church. And oh. I love pastoring there. It's, it's my, it's one of the greatest joys that I have. And Lord willing, we'll be able to, to go full time soon. We're, we're almost there. So I work, uh, part time for Theocast and part time for another, for another, uh, organization and we started uh theocast about well this is my fifth year so entering my fifth year and we <laughs> originally started it as a joke 
the I don't, the first original names of the podcast I can't even remember them, but they were really bad. And we uh, we <laughs> the idea was to put a laptop in the middle of the table and 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 talk about nerdy stuff that we thought was funny. And all of a sudden, it turned into let's go find some microphones and make this a little higher quality because some church members found out we were doing it and they were really curious uh, about our thoughts on things like redemptive historic and covenant theology and law gospel and and uh sanctification the sanctification debate was kind of exploding at the time and long story short uh people started sharing it on social media and we before we knew it we had a lot of people sending us questions and and asking us things so kind of (laughs) uh we we kind of fit in the world where you have people who are reformed and then there's these people who are transitioning into reformed theology and they think they're all alone and all of a sudden they hear these guys talking about their transition and they're not alone so it's been it's been a it's been a fun ride just to see people truly find rest in Christ uh, in my own church context and also of course uh, with the podcast we've had um, I've had the privilege both my hosts that are with me now uh, Jimmy Bueller and Justin Purdue were originally listeners at one point that I got in contact with and are now a part of it and uh, we planted awesome. a church with Jimmy we've got another guy a listener as well who's moving out to Tennessee here soon to join our church that we can plant there. So what started as a fun podcast is now really we're, we're seeing more people rest in Christ. We're seeing churches planted and uh, we're, we're just encouraged to see that um, the Reformation truly is continuing to happen through a bunch of guys who are nerding out on theology. So <laughs> that's, that's the story. Uh, married with and four at- kids. Um, mm-hmm. I've got uh, uh, this. I've been married 17 years now, believe it or not. And awesome. I, uh, I have four kids. They, they're all about to have birthdays. So 16, 14, 12, and four. So he's wow. keeping us all alive. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And, we awesome. are, so. and we are the beneficiaries of your ministry, just to let you know. You already know that, but for the audience to know as well. I actually came to the Reformed faith through Theocast. I was Calvinistic, but I was not Reformed. Those are two different things, as you will learn by listening to Theocast. If you haven't, listen now, and you will <laughs> learn some great things, and hopefully you will come to these uh, understandings of Scripture as well. And, um, well, why don't we uh, get straight to the topic today? And um, with the amount hey, of time Matt, we before have, we jump in, I always say yeah. we create more Presbyterians than anything, and so you're you're a good example of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. I mean, you really were a vehicle. I mean, I first when I started listening to you, I'm going to say the same thing that you guys already know. I thought you guys were antinomian when I first heard you. Yeah. And I was I was coming out of you know lordship and all that. I was actually in the New Covenant theology camp for a real long time. Uh, oh wow! Close, I didn't know. Yeah, that. close. Yeah, close, but no cigar. Right? It's kind of like a media, <laughs> a, a via media um, position. And um, I started going onto your forum, started listening to Theocast, watched all the YouTube videos, met Marissa Namir, and started asking her questions. And she started helping me along. And then um, things started coming together. And I heard John Fonville, and boom. So it's kind of all came together, but you guys were the vehicle who brought me in to ask to ask the questions, I should say. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. That's awesome here. Yeah, absolutely. So the topic of today is spiritual disciplines. So John, let's get off with the question. Let's let's start off with the question. 
what do we mean when we're talking about spiritual disciplines? Yeah, that is the question. Uh, you ask five people that question, and you're going to get five different answers. Uh, it is, it is. There's there are different brands. There's different ways of uh, describing it. The, my favorite question to ask people is, name me the top five spiritual disciplines from a biblical perspective, and then they'll, they'll give you five. And you ask ten people that, you will have five different lists. Uh, they will be different. And then you ask people, what is the number one discipline? And you're going to get a different, you know, barragement of answers of whether it's evangelism, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting. It, there, there's no, nobody to agree. And you can't really point to a Bible verse to, to, <laughs> to decide what is the number one spiritual discipline. Historically speaking, spiritual disciplines are, uh, it's, I mean, it's right there in the Word. You become more spiritual or you become more sanctified, acceptable in the eyes of God by means of discipline. And so there are a list of various not bad things, actually biblical things, that you are to perform. And as you discipline yourself in these uh, uh, different the spiritual acts, then you will see yourselves become more like Christ and more spiritually um, mature. That would be a, a quick definition. So, John, when you say uh, acceptable in the eyes of God, uh, do you mean just an, an acceptable um, uh, lifestyle or an acceptable way of living? Right, what and this mean? is the confuse. Right, this is the confusing part about when when you talk to somebody who houses this. Uh, there, this is where things get a little complicated. I mean, if you were to ask uh, Charles Finney, Charles Finney would flat out tell you, yes, your obedience does make you acceptable in the eyes of God, according to his systematic theology. Uh, we have a quote, we can look at that later. But when you talk to someone who's, I think, conservative evangelical, they would say that you are clearly justified by faith alone. If you believe in the gospel, then you then you are in right standing before God, and he declares you. He doesn't make you. He declares you righteous. Mm -hmm. And with spiritual disciplines, the way it's presented is God got you in through the cross. Now it's your job to keep progressing towards uh, basically glorification. So the, more, the harder you work, the more spiritual you will be. And if you don't do that, you... There, you won't. As far as acceptable, you won't. Um, you won't lose your salvation, but God will definitely be disappointed in you, and which means no blessings, which means no protection, and also, uh, which also means no growth spiritually. So, I, I've never really found someone modern day evangelical that is conservative that is of any worth reading that would say you're standing before God. Other than Charles Finney, you're standing before God is dictated by your, I mean, that's just Roman Catholicism or Mormonism. Okay. Within the new Calvinism, people like Donald Whitney and John Piper are favorites of spiritual yeah. disciplines. For instance, Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines is a favorite. It was mine actually in the past. Um, yeah. And you know, they would say, they would say, well, no, we would agree with you that we're not saved by works, but these are a yeah. consequence of faith. But when you do yeah. read them, it does seem to there seems a to, to to be a contingency. In other words, if you don't do these things, you know you're not a Christian, or you know you better watch out because you're not producing enough holiness. You're not doing enough spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that is. So when I started this journey uh, about five, six years ago of trying to find out the history of something, this is how I've come into the Reformed faith. Uh, it's, it's how my brain is wired. I want to know where something comes from. And so people are quoting John Calvin. They're quoting Jonathan Edwards. They're quoting the Reformers and the Confessions. And so I'm like, who are these people? So, I, of course, I start studying them, and I start learning about historical theology. And the same thing happened with spiritual disciplines. Uh, they were contradicting the Confessions, and they were also contradicting the Reformation as far as Reformation theology between uh, sola fide and uh, basically sola Christus. And I, I, it, it started to bother me that I had men like John Piper or, or Don Whitney who are considered to be Reformed or Calvinistic, or we would say that they, you know, they are um, predestinarian, are holding to the, the, the five solas, and yet they're promoting spiritual disciplines. And the confusion in it is that it really comes down to, do you believe that your salvation, your justification is monergistic or synergistic, which is either all of right. God or, or partly of God and partly of man? Well, Don Whitney and John Piper would say heartily, oh, no, we believe in the doctrine of election and predestination, God, God before the foundation of the world, saved you and when it comes to your now growth or your how you are sustained in the faith that's where things get a little tricky and the language that they use would be synergistic it would be a cooperation between man and god and the confessions make it uh, very clear and the reformers uh, argue from scripture that (laughs) our growth in christ is a work of the spirit and it's, it's wrought to us by faith. You know, you go to Galatians chapter 3, and Paul says, Are you so foolish that you're beginning by the works, or did you begin by works of the law or by works of the Spirit? Do you now believe by faith, and are you being perfected by the law? And he, and he calls them foolish, and he says this whole idea is, is witchcraft. So Paul presents to the believer that not only are you justified by faith, but you're also sanctified by faith, meaning that the way you come into the faith is by sovereign grace, and the way you stay in the faith is by sovereign grace. It's all by grace alone. That's right. That's right. So I have a question. Which I know, those those who are listening (laughs) probably have a thousand questions, because I've heard them all. Go ahead, Anik. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So the question is then, um, I guess it begs the question then, what are spiritual disciplines for? Is it part of repentance? Is it the disciplining of uh, oneself uh, in order to obey out of love? What is it for? Yeah, if you read the introductions to the to the the books who really teach this uh, books, you know, I think the again the most popular book is going to be Don Whitney's book. The Don Whitney says that he he. Um, flat out in the introduction of his book. So just if you can find it online or if you can go and, and, and you know, you may even, you may not even know it. You may have it on your bookshelf. Yeah. It's, a pretty, it's a pretty popular, yep. it's a pretty popular book. But in his introduction, he says that I do not believe that someone can grow spiritually without, do, by, by, without using the means that are presented here, which he says are spiritual disciplines. So if you ignore spiritual disciplines, which then he gives you his list, and then adds more to it. But his list, of course, include, you know, uh, solitude, Bible reading, prayer. Um, it, it has journaling. It has, um, you know, there's, there's a list of things that he provides. And he basically says, if you are not fasting. availing yourself yep. to these. Yep, yep, fasting. If you're not availing yourself to these things, you will not grow spiritually. Um, so 
that would be, you know, that's, that's the, the purpose behind them. They're saying you have to discipline yourself and they will use, you know, Paul, they'll use Paul to their argument, discipline yourself for the sake of godliness, which I'm sure we can answer that verse a little bit later. And what does he mean there? Um, but that's what the design of the spiritual disciplines are for, which is if, if you do these, you will grow. If you don't do these, you will not grow. Mm-hmm. A lot well, of so stuff. It... Go ahead. Sorry, man. Uh, so they have a, a synergistic then approach of sanctification, would you say? I would. Yeah, I would say that uh, they believe that unless you do your part, you're not going to grow in the faith and you're going to you're going to stay stagnant. Uh, now, you know, the the first argument you get from this is, well, then that sounds like a let go and let God, John, where if God wants to make me holy, then I'm just going to let I'm going to sit back and let God make me holy. Well, if you understand Scripture and and what we would say the means of grace from a historic reform perspective, that's not the case. We do understand how we grow, and there are means by which we grow. So this is not a let go and let God. It's just where did God promise his power of growth, and and that's we should go there. We can't look at these spiritual disciplines and actually point to Scripture coherently and say God promises that if I journal— he will use that to transform me into this image of his son. Or God does not promise that uh, if I read my Bible every single day, I know that's, that's, that's the trigger one, right? Whoa, John, back up there, buddy. <laughs> but there's nowhere in Scripture that says the act of, right, the act of reading your Bible in a consistent format, whether it be in morning and evening, is a guarantee for you to go from one level of spirituality to the next. That's that's well, kind that, of what we're getting at. Right. And you can also ask the question, what did the early church do? Because there was a time where the early church didn't even have the scriptures. That's right. Right. I mean, just understand the printing press in general, you understand, you know, the personal Bible, even when the printing press came into existence, personal Bibles were so expensive that the common man couldn't afford them. Uh, you know, congregations would come together and give money so that the church could buy one, so that, that their shepherd could have one to, to study and prepare from. Uh, it's, it was on, not a right, common, exactly. common practice. Exactly. And to be honest with you, I actually misspoke because they didn't even have the scriptures like we do in a codex form until hundreds of years later. That's right. Yep. And you mentioned, um, I guess we're getting into the history now of spiritual disciplines. You mentioned that uh, much of the uh, church wasn't uh, didn't know how to read, so um, so the purpose of uh, reading your Bible is um, that it apply to them, especially back then. Yeah, absolutely. If you can't read, how how are you going to how are you going to grow spiritually? That is that is a big question. So we have. The biggest so these are the questions that I had to start asking myself. If spiritual disciplines, what I'm being told is, unless I read my Bible every single day, I am vulnerable to Satan's attacks. I am vulnerable to the flesh, and I cannot grow, or I will grow at a very low pace, and 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 I will never be at the potential that I could be. And I think of a sovereign God in the, in the midst of history. And I just don't see that the history, so the, the early church in Acts, when Paul, when Peter gets up and he preaches and 3,000 people are saved, they all came forward and he handed them New Testaments, right? <laughs> or he, hold, he handed them Old Testaments and said, <laughs> now go home, 
<laughs> Go home and study these. This is how, this is your next. No, it says actually that they went home and they studied the apostles' teachings together. They they broke bread or they, they basically instituted the Lord's table. This is right after Christ's resurrection. And they prayed. They were as the gathered church where they were encouraging each other. This sounds exactly like Ephesians 4. They came together to discuss and to build up, to strengthen each other in the teachings that they've heard. They then uh, practiced communion, which is the, a means given to the church where our faith is strengthened, and they prayed, which is also a means. So when you look at the early church and you just start following history, it, you know the New Testament is finally finished, but not every Christian had... The New Testament, as soon as the book of Revelation was, you know, it's like, all right, now it's encapsulated. It's not until the second, third century that you have someone who gives uh, kind of a coherent at the council, a coherent, okay, this is, these are the books. They're not, they're not canonizing them. They're not saying these are the book. They're recognizing yep. them as the canon. Right. And to have, to have that, it was just precious. But we don't, we don't see this as every single home having a Bible. This is why the weekly preaching and teaching and coming together for communion were so vital to the early church, because they, they didn't have their own. I mean, it, it's recorded that John Calvin taught every single day. Like, people would come and hear him teach. Yeah. Uh, and which that would have been incredible to be able to, to take a break from lunch <laughs> yeah. and then go here, here, John, John Calvin. Calvin teach you something. Right. That would be incredible. So you start following this history. And of course, this lends itself to all kinds of heresy, because once the Catholic Roman Catholic Church then uh, removes the personal Bibles and, and basically makes it illegal for you to read the Bible and interpret it for yourself, uh, that's when the Reformation begins to take root back in the 14th, you know, 13th century, 14th century, when you got guys like Wycliffe who are translating this, uh, because they want every person to have their own Bible to know that what the Catholic Church is teaching about justification is wrong, right? So it's not until the printing press really comes into play where you're going to start seeing personal Bibles. But even then, you don't hear the Reformers encouraging people to seclude themselves, the current, the current trend with spiritual disciplines. Let me let me ask you guys this question. Name me the top five spiritual disciplines, just off the top, or in general, Bible reading, prayer, maybe fasting, evangelism, uh, tithing is sometimes that's put in there. But the majority of them are all individual, private disciplines. Correct. Yeah, and if well, you look what's, at, what, what, what's odd to me though is when people say that evangelism is a discipline. What, what do you mean by that? It's not a discipline, <laughs> right? Well, it's on some people's lists. It depends on the denomination, I guess you're from. The point of it is, the disciplines they 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 individualize us to where your your spirituality. So if you want to go from from baby to mature, if you want to you want to see yourself. Look, every single Christian has a desire to, to be more like Christ. It's, it's, it's in us. It's what we want. The moment you come to faith and you see the glory of Christ, it's 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? When we look at the glory, of the, the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we're transformed to his image. But the, the danger in that is that we think that that transformation is, is held in our own hands. And so the, the harder I work at this, the more I will become. When you look at Scripture, again, Ephesians 4 is a great example of this. Paul says that the ch when the church functions properly, and he just got done explaining how it is coming together, using our gifts, 
being gracious, kind, and patient. In the, the first three verses of Ephesians 4, he says, you need to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You know what he doesn't say? Read your Bible and pray. <laughs> he actually says, be eager to maintain the bond of unity and the peace among the brethren. That's what he says. He says, be gentle, be kind, and be patient. He says, when the body does this, it builds itself up. You only wait hear a... Paul talking about... I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Finish. You, you only hear Paul talking about building up the body of Christ when it's, the body is actually functioning together as a unit. Now, there, you are an individual who has a part in that. This is why he talks about the eyes and the ears and the hands you know, in, in 1 Corinthians. When you think of the spiritual disciplines, even within the Reformation, so when there are personal Bibles eventually starting to happen, you have the confessions and the Reformers still telling you that your spiritual health and growth comes from the preaching of God's Word, right, the means of grace, the preaching of God's Word, the administration of the sacraments, so, so table and, um, and baptism, and then prayer. And prayer is, I would say, the only means that we are given— and I think prayer there does mean a corporate prayer where we come together and pray. But I do think prayer is the only means that God has given us is a means of grace where we can receive encouragement and our faith is strengthened. But it's never given to you as a discipline. Uh, as a matter of fact, how much should you pray? If you prayed 18 hours a day, would you be a better Christian than if you didn't? And the Bible doesn't say that. Actually, it says you better not stop praying. Pray without ceasing, which yeah. we can get into that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, so I, this is these are all, when you start comparing... What things like Ephesians says, um, or even Hebrews when it says, consider how to build one another up in love and good works, you're realizing that what I'm disciplining myself in is not individual growth. What I'm disciplining myself in is to learn how to love complicated, dirty, messy, stinky people. <laughs> that's the disciplining <laughs> part right there. So when it says discipline yourself for the sake of godliness, that's, that's the, that, there's your discipline. So, John, someone might come back at you and say, well, since you believe that the Word of God is a means of grace, how about when you're reading the Bible for yourself, right? Preaching to yourself, isn't that a means of grace? Absolutely. Yeah, I hear that all the time. Theocast has been hearing that for for years. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I believe the Word of God is powerful. It is alive. It's quick. It encourages. Uh, but let me ask you this. You also have the Holy Spirit in you, and why do you still sin? You, you know better, and yet you still do it. And, and you know that, that sin is not helpful, it's not beneficial. Just because the Word of God has that power, God has also designed how it's to be used. Uh, the, if you think about anything in your Christian life, anything that you do, you never depend upon yourself, because the moment you do, you're doomed, right? You don't depend upon... Like We understand that faith is a gift. It was given to you. Well, how did you learn that? You learned that because someone shared that with you, whether it's through God's Word or someone personally. You also understand that your preservation is not up to you. If God is the one who saves you, He's going to be the one who keeps you. This is John 10, right? So again, your salvation and your preservation are outside of you. Well, how do you, is it that you remember these things? Because the moment we sin, is that, that's what we forget. We forget who we are. Every time that we give in to temptation and we sin, we are forgetting the nature of who we are. This is what Paul says. He said, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, it means to believe, right? It means, literally, it means to walk in the reality that I am a child of God. Well, what we are told 
is that the the word of God used in a public format that you cannot go to anywhere except for the Psalms when it says to hide God's word in your heart, right? It says hide thy hide thy word in thy heart. You have one reference there, but when it comes to the word of God in the New Testament, it is always around a corporate reality. Now, I I do read my Bible. Uh, I don't, I actually haven't had personal devotional times or personal Bible reading times in the morning in years. I know that probably will shock people, Uh, but I'm a pretty heavy consumer of the Bible because I love it. I think it's really encouraging, but I will tell you this right now. I don't trust my own Bible reading when it comes to my own protection and my own sanctity, my own sanctification. I trust the elders who will care for my soul through the ministering of the table, who will rebuke me when I'm in sin, and who will preach and encourage my own heart, because that's the promise that this, the Bible gave. Uh, when it says that a brother's caught in sin, Galatians 6.1, what, what are the instructions to those who are caught in sin? Read your Bible more? What does it say? Of it says, go to such a one. That's right. It says, go to such a one and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. From growth to repentance, from salvation to glorification, it all happens within the context of a local church who is caring for each other, who has gifted body members. So I think that this is, this is, this is, so I say all of this to say this. I think your personal Bible reading is fantastic. I think it's, I think you should be encouraged by it. But the danger is this, personal Bible reading is not a means of grace and it's not a sacrament. It is definitely beneficial, just like fellowshipping over dinner. If the three of the three of us men were to go out and have dinner together, I would be encouraged by that. It would strengthen my faith because I know we talk about Jesus and we talk about how God has transformed us and we talk about theology, right? And, and the and the confessions say that God can use other means to strengthen our faith, but there are primary means. So the preaching of God's word is the primary way that one receives the word and is encouraged by it. So I, all I would say is when your list comes out of disciplines, you need to reverse. You just got to put them in the right order. It's preaching of God's word in the public context for, for, with the saints. And the reading of God's word can be beneficial, but in most cases, people will reverse those. And they would say reading is more important than the preaching. That's how I would respond let me, to that. Let me ask you a question. Don't you? Well, let me point out something to you and see if you agree. Every time I've noticed an author who is promoting this stuff, they seem to be pietistic in nature, and they also seem to um, be tied to lordship salvation. They all seem to have that in common, as far as like contemporary Calvinistic teachers. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that that um, that 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 there's definitely a tie there of the I would say of the popular, and the reason of it is is that if you. Um, with, like, for instance, in Lordship Salvation, the fear behind it is that someone will claim to be a believer in Christ and yet uh, play hooky is the, way, is the way I would describe it. Yeah, I'm a believer, but I'm going to go play hooky. And so what Lordship does is it gets people to take their faith seriously. It, it's, it's, a, it's an honest movement. They are trying to help believers right. understand the, the seriousness of, of Christianity. And I'm wholeheartedly behind that. I think Christianity is a very serious, and I take it very serious. Amen. Uh, but the response, yeah, but the response to that, what it ends up doing is you get some confusion. 
uh, I, most most people who struggle with their faith, uh, it's not that they are lazy or that they want to get away with sin. I, I, I very rarely met someone who's a true believer and 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 wants to sin. <laughs> very rare. Uh, I don't really know of any. I would I would dare to say that they might be an unbeliever if they enjoy sin and they don't have a problem with it at all. New Testament describes that person as not being a believer. So most people who struggle with Christianity are just either beat down, tired, exhausted, or confused. And so when someone hands them a list of, you do this and it results in this, that's, in, that's intriguing, right? For instance, if somebody wants to get a skill at playing the piano, and you, you say, listen, you need to practice this way, and this is the discipline. You need to do these scales, you need to learn the theory, and if you do that, you'll be able to play the piano like this. Well, that, when, if someone walks up to you and says, John, you can stop sinning, you can have the encouragement and the blessings of God, and you, you will have an easier life if you do these disciplines. Well, I'm in. Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> right. Why are we talking here? Why yep. shouldn't we be doing those disciplines? The problem right. is those disciplines don't play out. It doesn't work like that. This is why at the end of Colossians chapter 3, Paul says all of these asceticisms, these beating of the bodies or these basically disciplines appear to be appear to be spiritual, but they're of no value of stocking the, the indulgence of the flesh. What does he say in chapter 4, verse 1? Looking unto Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. He, he points to, if you're going to fight against the battle of the flesh, you have to do it by looking at Christ. And here is what I love. When Paul wrote to the, the, the Colossian letter, he didn't write it to an individual, right? He wrote it to the pastor, who is to read it to his congregants. So the congregants are to hear Paul's letter and in, be encouraged that together they look to Christ to fight the, the, the flesh. So the spiritual disciplines tell you to do these things to make yourself better. Scripture tells you, look to Christ collectively, and collectively you will overcome the flesh. And when you don't, you have Galatians 6-1 moment. So... Like you said, it, yeah, but they I, have I, a syner- that, go ahead. Like you said, they have a synergistic view of salvation, which is way different from a monergistic view where we believe in grace alone. He's going to carry us all the way. He's going to preserve us until the end. And our initial justification yeah. is our final salvation. It's the same thing. We will persevere because it is spirit wrought. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And there's a little bit of reverse too, depending on who you talk to in the in the Lordship Salvation camp, uh, the biggest complaint that I have is that we put uh, we put a byproduct of salvation out in front of it. You put the, basically the cart in front of the horse. So I believe re- I believe repentance is definitely a part of is, is part of salvation, but what we call is the fruit of salvation. So you cannot repent of a single thing ever unless you are brought to life. That's like telling a, a dead man to walk. You can't do that. So this is where things get a little—to make Jesus Lord of your life, if you're not, if you're, if you're not regenerate, is ridiculous. So if someone is acting like an unbeliever, I'm not going to tell them to make Jesus Lord of your life. That's ridiculous. You can, they can't make Jesus anything. <laughs> if they could make right. Jesus Lord of their life, they wouldn't need Jesus to save them. So if someone is clearly not living a life that is regenerate, they don't need to be told to, to live a moral life or to do anything with Jesus. They need the gospel, because this is what Paul says. It's the power to transform people's lives. So uh, if I'm dealing with a group of people, 
that are clearly struggling with the Christian life, they don't need discipline. They need to understand who they are and what they are. And that's where confessional theology comes in, because confessional theology points you to the object of outside of yourself. Spiritual disciplines basically tells you, you can do this if you put enough work in. That's the confusion. I think it's also confusing when you have teachers like Donald Whitney say that, look, you have to do these disciplines, and these disciplines, of course, will be the product of someone who is truly justified. But then they'll put some verse like Hebrews chapter 12 in there as a warning, you know, that there's not enough holiness there. I mean, how much, how much, how many disciplines do you have to do or how much fruit does there have to be? I want to read a quote by Donald Whitney to give the audience some context. So here it is. He says in his book on spiritual disciplines, so why talk about discipline? If God has predestined our conformity to Christ's likeness, where does discipline fit in? Why not just coast into the promised Christ-likeness and forget about discipline? Although God will grant Christ-likeness to us when Jesus returns, until then, he intends for us to grow toward it. We aren't merely to wait for holiness or to pursue it. And then he states, Strive for peace with everyone, we're commanded in Hebrews 12:14, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Notice carefully what he says, without holiness, that is, Christ-likeness or godliness, no one will see the Lord. That's right. So the fact is, why put that in there? I mean, if we're justified by faith alone and you really believe that works are a consequence of faith, why stick that contingency in there? Yeah, this is... This has been the debate within the sanctification debate, even with Kevin DeYoung and, and Mark Jones. This is a pretty popular verse, and this is where you cannot you cannot do what we call. Uh, so there there's 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 a way in which you 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 have to take every single scripture and you have to look at it. Who's the original author? Who's the original? Who is the original reader? What's going on theologically? What's going on culturally? And it's going to help you understand why they say certain things and why, why they will say it in a certain way. Well, the writer of Hebrews, who is he writing to? He's writing to a group of people who want to go back to the law. They don't think Jesus is enough. The whole book is Jesus is greater than anything that ever came in the law. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. Uh, he, it just goes on, and he's greater than Moses. And so at the end of it, he gives a very stark warning. It's, it's, it's coming down to the end, and he's done this a couple times. He does it in chapter 6 as well. And the writer is basically saying, if you're going to leave Jesus and you're going to go to anything else, then without the holiness of Christ, you are not going to make it. Because they think that the law is going to provide the holiness they need to see God. And the writer says, no, he's not. If you just read those first few verses— of chapter 12, who are you looking unto, verses 1 and 2? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. So it, he, the warning is not, you better get your act together and start disciplining yourself, because if <laughs> right. you don't, right. you're not going to see God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you reject Jesus, then you go back to the law for your holiness. Well, without the holiness of Jesus, you will not see God. That's what he's saying. So it is confusing yeah, it, to use that, because it's not the appropriate context. Yeah, it's a presupposition that they're bringing in when it doesn't fit exegetically. Right, absolutely. 
It's called Biblicism is what it's called. It's to take a, a verse out of its context and saying this is literally what it says. It literally says that without holiness you will not see God. How can you say it doesn't say that? Because <laughs> I'm saying in the context, holiness is not meaning personal holiness that's brought to by pers- uh, spiritual disciplines. That's why that's I, you can say that. So, Yeah, Odig and I have brought up that verse many times as, as an example, and people say, well, why do you keep on hammering that verse? Because all of these contemporary authors keep on bringing up the verse. It's like, do you yeah. believe we're saved by faith alone or not? That's the question. Odig, uh, it looks like you wanted to say something. Uh, right. No, just to uh, continue what you were saying. So if Hebrews uh, 12.14, I believe it is, says that it's if our personal holiness is not up to par, we're not going to see the Lord, if that's what it means, then... You've definitely denied sola fide. And if our justification is a forensic one, then you've denied forensic justification. So it's you can't say Hebrews 12, 14 means a personal holiness. It has to be like John said, it's got to be a, the perfect righteousness, that that of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I, there, this is where we have to be careful, too, in creating extremes. Because the moment we create, we, so they're they're creating one extreme and only one example. Uh, I will tell you this: if someone if someone is here and they are they are unwilling to pursue holiness, like no, I'm not done, I'm not doing it. What they're saying is I'm unwilling to love God and to love others. That's what they're saying. Because First John says, if you do not have love for the brothers, you are not of me. You're a liar, and the truth is not in you. Uh, so one could argue there, well, look, right there, it's personal holiness. And the point of it is, if you understand that you are justified by faith alone from a loving and gracious God, and you love God for that, and you are unwilling to love a sinful, dirty brother, he's saying you don't understand the gospel. So you, when looking here, when it says, strive for peace with everyone, well, that fits. And then he says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I think what he's saying here is, listen, you need to love the brothers and be peaceable. There's because there th- there's a lot of fighting going on in this letter. It's very obvious. There's a lot of heated going on. He's saying, look, you need to be mm-hmm. peaceable, and you need to pursue Christ, uh, the holiness. Because that holiness, how do you get holiness? There's only one way you can be declared holy. God is never going to look at your righteous standing, and but I'm not disconnecting them. I'm not saying you can. You know, name it and claim it, or as easy believism as the Lordship guys will say. I'm not saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Go live however you want. So to, <laughs> this is where people call me antinomian. I'm not antinomian. I believe you have to obey the first part of the verse. Strive for peace. Listen, that that's part of being a believer. Is this goes back to Ephesians chapter four when he says, "You need to walk in a manner worthy of your calling." What does that look like? Be be gracious. Be peaceable. Be kind. Uh, so I'm, but I do not believe that if I if that that somehow those make me acceptable. It's the byproduct of salvation, and that's all he's saying. And he's he's kind of clut- he's bringing the clutter, taking the clutter off of it. So, uh, yeah, that that's how I would. Respond and there has to, to the, yeah, there. Are, I agree, and I think there is a differentiation between those who struggle with sin and those who practice sin. I mean, those who give oh, yeah. in to unbridled lust and commit adultery time and time again, then you have to say, well, you have to question whether this person is regenerate or not. Um, and, but that's ultimately it's up to the Lord. Look, at we are not the ones who 
decide whether someone is converted or not. That's where church discipline comes in. We just love upon those people and, and let, the spirits do, let the Spirit do its work. Right, and this is a podcast we did recently that I, I think got us in a little bit of trouble, but I, Scripture's on our side. How many times can someone repent for sin, according to Scripture? Well, First John says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean, well, I know I'm going to go out and party and get drunk and, you know, do things I shouldn't do. I just got to repent in the morning. <laughs> That's not right. what he's talking about. Uh, right. yeah, we, we, we don't believe in cheap grace, exactly. Right. But let me ask you guys this. I mean, have, do you know someone who struggles with fear? God tells us not to be afraid, and yet they habitually struggle with fear or anger or anxiety or gossip or lust. I think that there, we have to be we have to be cognizant that we like to sugarcoat sin, and it's like, well, I'm not sleeping around, so I'm like, yeah, but are you are you bitter? Are you anxious? Are you angry? Those all count. Those are all sins. Those are all offenses. And so we, you know, when it talks about uh, without holiness, you will not see the Lord. My my, I have to ask you, what level of holiness? If we are talking about positional holiness or personal holiness here, right, gentlemen, who has the list? Because I'd like to see the list of it's this personal holiness that gets you in. Right, you're not going to find the boxes. In you're not going to find that in exactly. Scripture. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, an example of the debate uh, some years ago on, I think it was the Gospel Coalition, you had a debate between Kevin DeYoung and Tulian Tavigian mm-hmm. um, about resting versus striving. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. I remember that. I do, yep. yep. So, so, and Tulian, of course, I think pretty much is an antinomian from what I can see. I think a lot of us would pretty much agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to judge the guy. I don't know his eternity, but I would question some of the actions that he, uh, for instance, his lifestyle now, going back into the pastorate, pastorate, et cetera, et cetera. But beyond that, the question is um, resting versus striving. So where does striving come in the, into this, you know, into this context? Yeah. And when we talk about resting, does that mean laxity? Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole debate, unfortunately, that whole debate has caused more hurt in the church than help, I think. Um, think both sides should have been more careful, Tulian and, and Kevin DeYoung, should have been more careful in how they uh, carried out that dialogue. That's just my personal opinion. I, I have had to deal with more <laughs> questions and within and Theocast, I think, gain its notoriety because of that debate. That debate was so confusing. Uh, and, and to... To, to be frank, I don't, I'm not really up to date on what's going on with Tulian, so I, I really can't speak to that. But the whole—I will say this. Um, everything that the that David said in the Psalms, that's beautiful and glorious. All the truths about the sovereignty of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. That didn't change when he, when he did what he did with Bathsheba, right? I mean, those truths are still true. What happened is, is that, unfortunately, a lot of what Tulian did say is true. And then I agree with that. Just, I, if I, I th- yeah, sorry, I thought a lot of his books were actually helpful. I mean, there's some stuff yeah. I didn't agree with, but I thought a lot of oh, what of he said was, was was truthful. Yeah, right. You know, I I find I can disagree with anybody because I'm the one that's right and everybody's wrong. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes down to resting, that Paul seems to make sure 
that, for instance, let's talk about the Corinthian church. Is there is there a church that <laughs> that really had anything wrong, more, more wrong? They, they basically were like, yeah, freedom in Christ. Let's just go do whatever we want. That, that was their mentality. And then they boasted in it. It's like, yeah, we live in grace, so we can live just like the pagans. And Paul even says, you're doing stuff that the world doesn't even do. Like, that's how gross you are right now. Here's what's fascinating. How does Paul start his letter? He leads them to the cross. He leads them to rest. He actually doesn't beat them over the head. He comes in and calls them believers. He doesn't question their salvation. He comes in and says, look, I don't want to make nothing known among you except for Christ and him crucified. It's the moment where he can get them back to, listen, you have forgotten the gospel. You have forgotten what Christ has done for you. Once he establishes that foundation again, then he turns to striving. But he never, he never starts with striving because he's not trying to get the Corinthians to get themselves back into favor with God. They are in favor with God. That's not the question, right? If you believe and trust in Christ, then you're in favor with God. Then he says, now listen, you, you, you all need to start pushing back against the flesh. You guys are just indulging in it. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to push back against it. I always say striving comes from a place of resting. You do not strive to rest. You rest so you can strive. The, the, this is, I think, the language that Paul talks about all of the time. So, you know, does someone say, well, John, so you don't live a very disciplined life then? You just kind of live and do whatever you want. I'm like, no, actually, I live a very disciplined life. But my discipline doesn't come as a motivation to make sure that God's going to be okay with me or that God's going to do anything with me. And I definitely don't discipline myself because I think it's going to make myself more spiritual. I just don't like sin. I think sin is obnoxious and it's it's unholy Uh and it's gross. And I have never benefited from sin ever. So when Paul tells me, hey, John or church, discipline yourself for the sake of godliness, I'm like, that's pretty logical to me because sin is just not it's not good. What he's saying, though, he's saying your faith is a reflection of your life should be a reflection of your faith. He is not saying discipline yourself so that you can grow yourself. That that's that we always flip the two. We we always we, we switch them upside down. So I would say, yeah, there is a place for striving in the Christian life. Uh, if if you aren't in a church, then you don't understand what it means to strive. This is where <laughs> people are sinful. They say and do dumb things. Yep. Right. We are so selfish. We are just we're just really mean people. I've been hurt more by Christians than unbelievers ever. And I have to strive not to be bitter. And I use the gospel. I use my place of rest to do that. So, yeah, I I don't think disciplines, um, I don't think Christianity is without striving. So you would say that the gospel is the engine for sanctification? Uh, I would say that that it is our motivation uh, to fight against the flesh, absolutely. So I don't... I don't fight against the flesh because I'm afraid if I don't, then God's going to reject me. I fight against the flesh because I think Christ is that glorious, and Christ is that wonderful, and he loves me unconditionally. Um, I think they're, they're, that is the difference. Amen. Yeah, yeah I, think that's the, I think that's the main difference really there. I think when you separate 
the imperatives from the, if they don't if the imperatives don't flow out of the indicatives, I think you're asking for trouble. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say, you know, that's a great question. Um and I was just thinking about it after you asked that. What what fuels our sanctification? Uh well the spirit fuels our sanctification. That comes straight from Paul that's uh, reiterated and clarified in the confessions that we are saved and sanctified by the spirit. The question is what does God use to maintain our faith? To what does God use because it says in Galatians you are saved and sanctified by faith alone. And so what the the most the most important discipline if you're going to try and discipline anything is going to be your faith. Right? It's going to be you need to focus your attention and the best way to do that is by using the means God has given, preaching of his word, sacrament and prayer. And those are all outside of you. Those are objective realities that are outside of you being brought back into you. So sanctification happens by God's means, not by your means. So uh, to say the gospel sanctifies you could... The reason I'm clarifying that, Matthew, is that to say the gospel sanctifies you, is then that would say, then all you need to do is believe the gospel and God's going to transform you into his image. And, and I would say, no, Scripture doesn't necessarily teach it that way. If that makes sense. Right. No, exactly. I, I totally agree with you. I just think that the gospel, um, or we can even talk about justification, which is the, it's, which is the center there, that that is what the Spirit uses, uh, uses um, to, to sanctify us. I mean, it's a vehicle Amen. just like everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like what you've, uh, you guys said on Theocast, uh, where it's the done before the do. Right. Right. And, um, don't obey out of fear, guilt, or duty. Because uh, those things don't yeah. necessarily grow you. Yeah. You guys, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you, you guys have children. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't want your children to live in a house of fear where they're always afraid that if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, then <laughs> dad's coming down on me. Uh, that, is, that is a horrible way to live. That, but that doesn't mean you don't have rules. Everybody has rules. You have to have rules because we're sinners, right? It's just kind of like it's for our own protection and insanity. But when my children do something, I want them to do it because they love me and they feel safe and they feel protected and they feel like that, that this is part of who they are. Uh, and it is different. If you have not grown up in a, I, I have flat out have a, con- I've had conversations with people who said, John, I am too scared. I am too scared to just trust that God loves me. I'm, I'm afraid that it's wrong. And I, I'm afraid that if I do that and at the end of my life and God will reject me. And so they're, they literally said, I am too scared to just believe by faith alone that that's enough. And I I get it. It it is it is a radical thing to be told that God loves you and will sustain you and protect you because that you trust in him. That's a scary thing. I agree. I understand. Onik and I were talking the other day and we were kind of confessing to each other how it's been difficult for us just to get used to this ourselves. Hmm. I mean, look at we're we're legalists by nature. We're born that way, right? And so the law, the law comes naturally, but the gospel is alien to us. It's outside of us. And we got to get used to that because it is foreign to us. Grace does not come naturally to us. A lot of people think it does. No, the law comes naturally to us. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. 
What about yeah. what about the, what about the verses though, John? We talked about earlier. You mentioned it, I think, before earlier in the podcast about First Timothy four seven through eight mm-hmm. about training yourself to be godly or discipline yeah. yourself to be godly. Yeah, it doesn't come natural, does it? <laughs> let me let me ask you this: Do you uh, do you guys perfectly love your wife without fail? As Christ loves the church, do you do that well? <laughs> nope. No. Just ask her. It's right. That's right. No Kicking comment. bad habits. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that those again, though I, I those don't the verses don't scare me, and I don't think that they take away from what I'm saying because you have to ask yourself, what do they mean by discipline? Like, what discipline are they talking about? Because let me ask you this question: What list did Paul give to Timothy in that context? What are the disciplines? I, that, that, I mean, that's what I always ask people. Well, and then they say, well, you know, it's, you know, it's Bible reading and prayer. And Well, again, I, I, don't, I don't see that. I think what he's talking about in a context in 1 Timothy, you have, you have, of course, you've got the instructions of what an elder is and what a deacon is, and then you're dealing with uh, a man who is being um, a leader. And so, I, yeah, should, should elders and should deacons... Uh, be examples of what does it mean to love and to care and be kind and generous and to be patient and long-suffering, yes, they should be examples of that. They should absolutely be. I would not want an elder to stand up and administer the gospel to our congregants, and he's known as a fighter, and he's mean, and he's nasty, and he is not a gracious man. Uh, So when he says discipline yourself, it's like, listen, you need to work at being kind. And you need to work at being gracious, and you need to be at loving, and you need to, to work on—the easiest way to describe it is this way. You have, two, you have two commands that you need to focus your attention on. What are those two great commands that we have from, from Jesus? Love God, love your, love your brother, right? Love your neighbor. Two greatest commands. Can you think of a command that is disconnected— from those in the New Testament, any kind of instruction that we receive, there is not one. There is not a single one that is disconnected from those two. So when it says discipline yourself, it is not a discipline for the sake of your standing. This is the difference. Spiritual disciplines, when presented, are about your personal growth and your personal standing before God. You are maintaining what you have received. God, you know, God's given you a car. You better keep the oil changed, and you better keep it gassed, or else. And we and it's hard to know what that or else is, right? But then they'll quote Hebrews twelve fourteen, or else, right? Exactly. Then you say, oh, so what you're saying is we're saved by works. Well, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Well, you just quoted Hebrews twelve fourteen, so I'm confused. Uh, but when exactly. it comes to right. the mission of the church is to reach the lost, and we do that by actually. Jesus says the love we have for another, for one another, the love that we demonstrate to one another is the greatest way the world will know that I have come. This is John 17. Beautiful passage. So the the thing that can t- t- I take, can slow down the gospel is congregants who don't know how to care for each other. So when someone walks up to me and says, well, John, you don't believe in spiritual disciplines, but it says right here, discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. And I was like, ah, man, that, that is a good statement because... We need to learn how to love each other, and it takes work. It takes work. And so, yeah, you're going to have to work at biting your tongue when someone says something dumb, and when someone's unkind to you, you're going to have to work on not being mean in response. So, John, let me ask you, 
are spiritual disciplines a new law? Oh boy, they can be. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know, what I've learned the older I get, I've learned not to hold on to as many absolute statements. Uh, where, you know, if someone, if I've got an 85 year old lady and she's like, man, I, you know, and she calls it a spiritual discipline, but she prays for her pastor every day and she enjoys the Psalms and she writes a letter to the congregant. And she's just been, entire life, she's been told that that's a spiritual discipline, but she doesn't do that because she thinks God requires it of her. She just does it because she wants to. I'm not going to tell that lady she's living under a law. No way. Not going to happen. I think she just has got categories. She's got categories off. Uh, But if I have somebody who says, unless I read my Bible every day, and unless I pray a certain amount of time, my question, then God, one, I'm going to be vulnerable to sin. Two, I won't. Uh, have the protection of God, and they honestly believe that walking in the Spirit, when Paul says, uh, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit is Bible reading and prayer. My question to you is, how much and for how long? How much Bible, how much prayer, and for how long? Is it a 30 minutes is enough? Is an hour enough? Is one word of God? I mean, God's Word is all-powerful, so if you just read and, is that an—I know I'm being funny. <laughs> that is a law. Nowhere did God say that daily Bible reading is what protects you or what sustains you. It's faith in the gospel is what protects and sustains you. So it can't be a law. Uh, so, John, this perspective you're bringing, the, this re- Reformed perspective, it's, um, we find them in the, um, the, uh, uh, the creeds and the confessions, correct? Like, uh, for instance, the 1689 Baptist and... Uh, or do we do we see it in the Heidelberg, the Belgic, um, Westminster? Do we see them all? Um, uh, this perspective in those confessions. Yeah. So what's interesting about the creeds is that the creeds don't tell you anything to do. If you, if you've read them, most people actually haven't read them. If you haven't grown up, if you're not in a creedal church, you don't you haven't read them. But there's nothing for you to do except for to <laughs> to believe. It literally says we believe. And so the creeds, uh, you're not going to get spiritual disciplines out of the creeds. The confessions are also, again, the word confession means this is what we confess to be true of Scripture. Uh, The confessions do say that our good works can bolster our assurance, that we are to discipline ourselves. Uh, There's also God's discipline and church discipline upon us. But you you, you are clearly given the preaching of God's Word, the sacrament and prayer as the means by which God uses to, to build his church. That's been their perspective. And I would say that the confessions agree on that when it comes to our means of spiritual growth. They are, they're very clear, uh, both Westminster and 1689, the ones I'm most familiar with, they're very clear that salvation and sanctification are a work of the spirit. And so, yeah, I would say that they would agree historically with that including the Heidelberg. Before we close, John, where can people reach you in your ministry? Yeah, so uh, theocast.org is uh, where the podcast is at, and then my church is gracereform.org. My sermons, and if you're ever in uh, Tennessee, we'd love to have you come visit. We meet in a a high school cafeteria. It smells like curdled milk. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I can I can be contacted there, and I really appreciate you guys having me on here. This has been it's been fun. I haven't had a lively conversation about spiritual disciplines in a very long time, so this was uh, oh, man. this was good. 
That's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks for taking the time to do so. Absolutely. Blessing. Thank you. And it's been great getting to know you. Absolutely. Yeah, I've enjoyed um, it. We've had had some uh, had some time together in L.A. recently, so it was good. I enjoyed that. Yes, th- that was awesome. Yeah. And for people uh, who are not familiar with the Theocast uh, page on Facebook, I'm actually one of the administrators for that page. And uh, That's right. there's some lively conversations and there's some you know, really good posts that are worth um, checking out. Yeah, no, Matt's done a great, fantastic job. If, if, if it wasn't for the administrators of that page, uh, then it would not exist. I would shut it down. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I would not have time. You guys do a fantastic <laughs> job. Everybody's always gracious. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a safe place to come in and say, I'm not sure I believe in spiritual disciplines. Convince me. And uh, they'll do a good job. <laughs> exactly. I, look, I was one of them at one time, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Come to the Theocast Facebook page and you'll be in my position a year later. (laughs) (laughs) Lord willing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Odig, before I take us out, where can they reach us? They can reach us uh, by email, um, info at bttrmin.org, info at backtothereformationministry.org. So it's, again, info at bttrmin.org. We also have a Gmail account, correct? Yes, that's back to the Reformation at gmail.com. I keep, awesome. I keep forgetting to you mention that. You can also that. reach us on our. F- <laughs> you can also <laughs> research, uh, reach us on our Facebook page as well. And uh, awesome. we'd love to have you guys uh, contact us through there or through the emails. That would be great. Anyway, um, thanks again, John, and uh, we hope yep. to have you on again for another topic and listen Absolutely. to Theocast. It, it will do you well. Anyway. Thank you guys for listening to another Back to the Reformation podcast and join us next time for another episode. See ya.